0: Guy here, welcome to another episode of Creative Forces, the penultimate episode, actually before uh, we go on a little break uh, from the podcast, the reason for that is that my wife Sarah is about to have, is due to have I should say, our second child in about three weeks, so we're going to be hunkering down for the next three months or so at least while we uh, get through that initial phase with a newborn baby and uh yeah it seems like a good moment to uh, break for a bit from the podcast um but it will be back so uh this episode uh, and one more uh in a fortnight's time that'll be the last one in a fortnight for a while uh but yeah put the podcast will be back and love to hear from you of course if you're listening to this in the meantime get in touch at guy kilty on twitter or at creative forces p Also creativeforcespod at gmail.com. Give us a shout if you like what you hear, if you want to know more about the podcast or if you've got any suggestions about anyone else I should speak to. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, But to this episode then, episode 36 of Creative Forces. um, In this one, I speak to Matthew Cope. Now, he's a magician and magic teacher who performs under the name Matthew J. Magic. And uh, Matthew grew up in Yorkshire and he started juggling... And getting involved in this whole world of magic and entertainment at a very young age. Started juggling at 10, started performing street magic uh, at 14, was playing all over the country as a magical illusion act just a year later, doing sawing his friend in half, all that kind of thing. Um, these days, after a stint as a school teacher um, and extensive travel around the world, which he talks about in the interview, uh, he's a full time entertainer uh, performing his unique combination. Of magic and variety to audiences around the UK and beyond and in this great interview which I really enjoyed doing um, you can hear Matthew describe why he became fascinated with magic and variety from such a young age why he loves that traveling uh, and how his granddad uh, helped him fulfill his ambitions so we're in this really nice um, Cuban restaurant we're in the basement yeah where you're gonna start doing some stuff so what what are the things that you're gonna start running here?
1: Uh, This is going to be my magic night. So um, once every three or four months or so, it's going to be a a special sort of cabaret type night. So um, called El Cabaret Secreto, which is uh, secret cabaret in in, in Spanish. because obviously keeping with the Cuban theme and stuff. Um, we're going to have a... I'm going to compare the night. I already run a night upstairs um, once a month, which is a, a tribute acts night. I compare that and uh, do a bit of magic around the tables and stuff. But this one's going to be solely a magic night. So uh, every month... Not every month, sorry. Every time we do it, uh, three or four months or so, um, I'll be doing, comparing the show. I'll have a uh, an act on that's going to be doing the headliner for the second half and then they'll do a 15-minute spot in the first half and we'll get a newcomer as well, someone that just wants a bit of stage time for sort of 10, 15 minutes in the first half as well. Then we'll have an interval, some close-up magic during the interval and things while people are grabbing a drink and stuff. And then the second half, uh, we'll have the main act on, and he'll do his 45-minute spot then. So right. uh probably different sort of friends in magic. They're going to be doing those for me over the next sort of year or so. Um, yeah, and that's starting end of May. So 30th of May is the first one we've got. Nice. For, so.
0: so how many people are you expecting, did you say? Uh,
1: 35, I think, it can fit in here. So it's quite an intimate sort of theatre, but yeah. um, that's how I wanted to keep it, really. It's kind of more... It's going to be a cross between a stage show and a parlour show, really. I think it's sort of parlour-sized stuff rather than um, full full stage size, if you will. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, exciting. I'm interested to see how it goes. I've yeah. uh, sold quite a few tickets already, so that's a bonus. Oh, I've managed to sort that out, so at least I'm not going to be sat here on my own. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the main thing, I guess. Yeah, do yeah. magic to yourself, probably. <laughs> it's not the greatest, yeah. is it, really?
0: So, I mean, you started with magic a long time ago, didn't you? So is yeah. there... Um, was the one thing or was the one big inspiration that made you fall in love with it or or was it what was it that made you fall in love with doing magic
1: uh i don 't know really I think it was that kind of that, just the, the reactions you get from people so i 'm not really selling tricks i 'm not selling magic to people when people are buying me to or booking me to go for the wedding or something um i 'm selling like a like an experience, if you will So you'll notice in a lot of my marketing There are pictures of me um, Because at the end of the day They are getting me to come to it But a lot of the pictures I use Are pictures of people's reactions and things mm. And that's what kind of drags you into doing it I think that's what drags any performer Into doing something And gives them, uh, you know, the the incentive to do more is because they they see that reaction and there's that little time there's a little sweet spot in magic that i love which is when you know as the magician uh or the performer you know that you've done everything you need to do for that effects to come off
0: the setup basically yeah so yeah.
1: you've got that all out the way and that's all done and you're ready just to do the final kick a bit and it's a brilliant little time because i know what that person's reaction is going to be as soon as you Push them over the line, if you will, mm. um, and they've just got no idea what's coming. And you just have that really nice little thought in your head, and there's that little buzz every time where you think, "Well, I know what's coming, and you don't know what's coming, but <laughs> you're going to love it." And I love that. I think that's probably something that drives me to it.
0: Um, Was the did something like that happen to you when you were a
1: kid? Or so no, I started out as a juggler. So I started right. out um, juggling and doing bits and bobs. And um, my mum used to take me to a juggling shop in Manchester because uh, I'm from that side of the hill. Um, she'd take me to the juggling shop and she would leave me in the juggling shop for a few hours while she'd go shopping and the guys in there would teach me juggling shops weren't very busy ever so the guys <laughs> there would teach me like juggling stuff and then um, yeah there was a so magic I bet department there were some
0: characters in that juggling shop
1: yeah yeah they were it was all guys in sort of tie-dye t-shirts and baggy trousers and dreadlocks and they were you know they were really really nice guys and taught me loads of loads of juggling stuff um, and in the back there was a little magic department um, and that's where I slowly started to learn one or two tricks, and then for Christmas, my brother bought me a deck of playing cards, and like they were magic cards, and I learned every single trick that you could do with that deck of what cards. What age were you then? I was eleven right. uh, when I did that. So yeah, and then um, I'd save up all my pocket money and then spend it on, you know, tricks and stuff and, and new tricks and new ideas. And being my family's all lived in Blackpool, so. um being from near there, there was quite a few magic shops in Blackpool uh, at the time. I think there was three. There was Tommy Cooper's joke shop, which was directly underneath the uh, the drop of the big one. So when you right. go down the big one roller coaster, it <laughs> looks like you're going to go through the roof of a shop, and that's where Tommy right. Cooper's joke shop was. Um, there was one called House of Secrets. Uh, which was just up near the Winter Gardens and there was another one called JV Magic and that's the one that I used to go to the most um, I used to know the catalogue for that place inside right. out just because of, you know I'd study it for ages finding the tricks that I wanted to buy and yeah. and work on and stuff and yeah, that's kind of how I Got into it. Do trick. you remember what the first trick was that you did? The first one would have been aside from sort of you know the Paul Daniels magic set that I would have had as a kid Um was some the the deck of cards that my brother got me called a, a wizard a wizard deck? It was called. It was by Marvin's Magic, right. and um, yeah, so that'll be sort of the first thing I did. And then the first proper trick I bought myself was something called dynamic coins, which is right. um, we have a little stack of tenpence pieces and they move from one place to another. Uh, and I think that's the one where i just remember doing that over and over again for family at parties and things i was i'd have been 11 then i think it was in the um so i'd got the, the cards at christmas and that was in the february um yeah i just remember doing that over and over again getting people's reactions to it and thinking yeah. this is ace i love doing this because it's like you know you're putting smiles on people's faces and stuff which is incredible and then uh yeah i think that's kind of yeah, how i got hooked i think and
0: did you feel like you were getting good at it was that yeah. the thing or was um, it more that you could do it and you thought you yeah, could
1: I mean, grow with it? that was pretty much a self-worker, what you call a self-working trick. Um, right. What does so that mean, by the way? It means there's not much skill involved in actually doing it. Right. Um, so there's not much sleight of hand involved. There's, there's certain tricks that um, you, you do things that... A very move heavy you would call it and that you've got a lot of sleight of hand to do you've got a lot of misdirection to do and things like that um, but then there's other tricks where the trick kind of just does its own thing so mm. everyone's seen the trick with 3 piles of 7 cards and someone's got to tell you which one it's in and you put them together. That's one of the first tricks people learn with a deck of cards. Um, it that works itself. Right. You don't really have to do anything.
0: It's like a process driven thing. If you yeah. do the right steps it will. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um and that's that's kind of with the with the dynamic coins thing. I did think I was getting better because you know you still have to learn the routine and then there's all the sort of accents on it if you will like there's little mm. little points where you've Got to draw attention to certain bits and make certain bits look better and your timing and everything so it's, the more you do it the more you get better even at self-working tricks but um yeah making them a little more casual and things i suppose but i did feel i was getting better over the over the time and I, I learned a lot uh i used to get every magic book i could get my hands on so usually libraries i'd go and get all the the magic books in the library and yeah. by being time got to sort of 12, 13, um, me and my mum would go to London quite a lot and, well, at least once a year. And she'd drive, we'd go down on the train and um, there was the Magic Circle headquarters down there. So I used to go to the Magic Circle headquarters and she'd drop me in there. Mm. And they'd have, they like, junior days on, so it was for specific junior days with a guy called Mark Paul and um, another guy called Anthony Owen who sadly passed away the week before last. Mm. Um, but uh, they would run these days and then we'd go around all the magic shops in London and, and go and, you know, I'd go and buy bits and bobs. And, yeah, it was... I really got into it more and more by just doing it more, I think. And, uh, yeah, the more you do it, the more you... We call it having a trick fix. Oh, yeah. You you go and buy a... That's why magic shops are in existence, (laughs) because magicians just get obsessed. You're like, well, go and buy a trick, and you'll go and buy another trick just for... No reason really, just other than to play with a new trick. It's like a
0: trick fix. Is that a, a, a phrase in the industry?
1: I think it's a phrase between me and my mates. Really, right. uh, yeah, yeah. We call it a trick fix. And you go to nip into Merlin's in Wakefield, is um just down the road, and it's one of the. There's not many bricks and mortar magic shops left in the country, and mm-hmm. Merlin's is is one of them. And um yeah, sometimes you just need to go in and buy a little trick just to <laughs> just to play with, don't you? <laughs> it's a a random thing. Yeah. It's like being a big kid, I think.
0: <laughs> and so were you, uh, mum and dad. Pretty encouraging
1: Yeah really Um Yeah in everything I've done really to be fair uh, They've always been really encouraging my parents which is good But um no we did So bit of a timeline 12, 13 I was just learning lots of stuff I started probably doing one or two kids parties around the local area neighbours and stuff And obviously my dad had given me a lift there and stuff And, and mm. we'd go and do that Um, And then by 14 I was street entertaining at a place called Freeport in Fleetwood Um, Which you know, so my mum didn't want me to go street entertain on a street But she was quite happy for me to go there because he had security and everything and and all that sort of stuff So I was working there Um, So yeah, they were supported that and I started getting more into um, Magic illusions like when every every magician wants to be like a big stage illusionist and uh, my granddad was a Carpenter and cabinet maker so my dad was pretty good With that sort of stuff as well uh, Although he, he was a prison officer My dad didn't work in carpentry or anything But um, We built all the illusions in the garage So there's me and my dad and my granddad Built uh, quite a few illusions uh, Over the years And then my dad would be like my roadie And he would drive me around All over the country really Doing the illusion show um, With My girlfriend at the time was my assistant, and me and my dad would load everything in and build all the illusions up because it all packed flat, and you'd have to be there for a few hours and do that. And then uh, we'd do the show, and then my dad would drive us home because obviously I couldn't couldn't drive at that point. (laughs) I was about 15, 16 when we were doing that. So um, it was like real-life Phoenix nights, I think. The places (laughs) we used to go to were... They were all like um, <laughs> proper working men's clubs, you know, like really old school working men's clubs. So they were great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, was that I
0: scary though at 14, 15 going into places like that? Or were you just so like loving it that I you don't were doing think
1: so, it? yeah. I think um, I loved it. I, It's not the act I would do now. Um, I mean, everything was set to music and like, right. uh, you know. What was the was, music? Oh, all kinds of stuff, <laughs> things like Robert Miles' children and stuff like that, you know. All that uh, the "Dido," I think, was the opening right. track was uh, one of the ones that we used. Um, but yeah, and it was all—I wouldn't speak in it. Whereas now, I, if I did anything again, whenever I do stage stuff, I talk now mm. most of the time through it. Um, I talk a lot, so that helps out in the uh, <laughs> in the show. But um, yeah, it was all—you know—it was kind of that dancing around, doing things to music, and it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. But you could have just been performing it in a in a room with no one there. Yeah. I mean, people would clap and applaud and stuff, but there was no audience interaction really, um, yeah. as such. The odd facial expression and stuff, but there wasn't much. You were really <laughs> kind of getting involved, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was it it was quite. It, I suppose that's why it wasn't scary because you would we'd done it so much. In the rehearsal room we were just doing the same thing yeah. um, as we'd done a thousand times before so um, yeah uh, it was fun definitely especially when the loadings were like upstairs and stuff we had to carry <laughs> all the illusions and boxes up there and we had a rabbit as well that would uh, appear out of a thing at the end and stuff uh, and was yeah. this
0: like sawing people sawing your girlfriend in yeah and stuff. so
1: it'd be um, we had what illusions do we have now the first thing we made was a, a Leicester Lake Guillotine. It was right. called a head chopper um, It was like a big Massive knife blade that would go through um, Through someone's neck And then out the bottom and stuff And right. not chop the head off That was <laughs> it, the idea um, I had a right accident with that once so. uh, well, Hang on a minute <laughs> go on. What was the accident? So before When I made the illusions When we'd made the illusions in the garage Before um, we I got with my girlfriend and we started doing the show So I would have been about 15 yeah. um, I worked with this dance school In Blackpool and they used to put on These big shows and I Would do the magic and stuff And they would be doing all this dancing stuff And when the The magic bits were in I used girls from the um, From the dance school To yeah. go in the boxes and do all that sort of stuff Um And the guillotine Was one and this one girl I think she was called Danielle I don't remember that. <laughs> She'd you put a head you kind of kneel down and put your head in the stocks basically and the, the stocks then padlocked in place um, and then this big knife blade goes down you sort of slam it down through the top it chops the carrots that are in the side and the knife blade comes out the bottom and you can mm. see it at the bottom and stuff and the whole blade extends beyond the thing, so you can see all the way down yeah so I'd shoved it down and it had gone in the bottom now when we built the thing my granddad was a carpenter he wasn't right. a metal worker and Without going into too much detail of how the actual trick works, yeah. there was a couple of bits of metal that we'd had made that weren't as strong as they should have been. Right. So when the whole blade thing went down, it all went down, it all worked fine. This metal bit twisted. And so the knife blade was stuck in the stocks. Yeah. Now, I can't you can't get the knife blade. If I couldn't get the knife blade out, I can't separate the stocks, it's holding the whole thing together. Yeah. So I'm still on stage with this girl trapped in these stocks that I can't get out and everyone just thought it was a gag but I was like well I can I had to kind of it was on wheels so I had to kind of pick her up by her feet and sort of push her out like you like know a wheelbarrow. Like wheelbarrow race style type of thing and I kind of pushed her off and into the wings but I still had half an hour to do oh, so I said to the people in the wings you know just She's not in any of the tricks. Just leave her in there because I'm gonna have to do it. Otherwise, you might mess something up. And so, yeah, this girl just she had to wait there. Yeah, to wait in the With the blade
0: like above her head, or was it?
1: No, it was through her thing, so she was fine. She was all right. But, um, Good. But yeah, no, she'd done the trick when we load so she was. She knew what she was doing, okay. and she knew she was fine. It was perfectly safe and everything. There's, with the trick, there's no way that you could actually harm yourself with it. No. Um, uh, so. Yeah, sorry to spoil the illusion there, but yeah, um, but yeah. So she knew she was fine, but just had to wheel her off by her feet. It was probably the most unglamorous thing I've ever ever done. I Did think. she do it again? No, no. she was devastated. <laughs> was she? Yeah, yeah. She wasn't oh, happy. Oh no. Um, but yeah. Was she angry? No, I just think she wasn't really uh, too chuffed with me, and I was like, right. yeah, "Sorry, fair enough. That's my uh, <laughs> that is my fault." But, um, I suspect
0: you learned you learned quite a bit from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I had that all remade and stuff, and I still got the guillotine. Now I still well, I still got all the illusions that my granddad built with us because uh, he was he was getting less mobile as he we went along, and mm-hmm. so I would go to school, and my dad would go to work, <laughs> and so my granddad would be staying for the week, and in the evenings we'd be working on these tricks and stuff, um, but then. I'd get home from school and he'd spend all day just making one bit of a handle. So mm. it was like the most beautifully made <laughs> illusions I've got um, because he would just spend so much time and effort making these things perfectly. And so he was a perfectionist on woodwork anyway. So everything was like dovetailed and jointed properly and, and mm. everything, yeah. So, so, yeah, I've still got them in the garage. I don't do them anymore, but it'll <laughs> all, all stop there because I won't I throw them away. So so whereabouts did you grow up then? A uh, little village called Eccleston just outside Chorley. Right. Um, in uh, in Lancashire, so I was born in London. Uh, well, Riseley uh, lived down there till I was five, and then moved back up to be nearer the family. Cause all the family were from Blackpool, so we, right. uh, my mum and dad moved back to Eccleston, which was like forty five minutes away from Blackpool, so we could be nearer to my granddad and everything. My and all that. So, and what did your mum and dad do? So my Dad was, first of all, he was a chef, but then um, in Blackpool, a place called the Imperial Hotel, which is oh, one of yeah. the big grand hotels in yeah. the front. Um, but then he joined the prison service, and he moved to... That's why we ended up moving to London, because he was at the Scrubs down, at Wormwood Scrubs down in right. London. So, um, yeah, and that's where me and my brother were born. We moved back up, and my mum was worked in admin for the NHS. Uh, oh, they have both retired now, so they both... Uh, they're actually busier now than they were <laughs> when they were working I think they're always <laughs> off doing stuff so what are they uh, doing? Uh, at the minute I think they're visiting my auntie but then they're off to um, they're off to travel around France for a month or so they did it last year and they just take the caravan and go off around nice <laughs> travelling all around France and stuff <laughs> I think so so yeah it's uh, should be a good trip from yeah. yeah they enjoyed it last time so yeah they do that quite a bit but no, I think that's where they were always really supportive with everything I think they wanted me to go to school and college and university and they, they encouraged me and my brother both to do that Um my brother was more academic than me did more uh, sort of academic subjects I went to I went to college went to uni and that's why I ended up over here I came over to go to a place called Bretton Hall hmm. Which the university there's closed down now um, But it's at the Sculpture Park Which is just outside of Wakefield um, And it was an arts college So I did light and sound design for theatre Was my first degree that I went to do that in um, Because I wanted to work for Cirque du Soleil um, oh, yeah, okay. So that was my, my sort of dream um, So did so, you see
0: them when you were a t- teenager?
1: Yeah I'd seen them What did I do now? I think I think mum bought me a VHS Of Salton Banco Which was one of their shows Right Saw that, and then for a while every year, because my brother still lives in London, we moved to London for uni, he stayed down there. Every year, my brother would buy me, for Christmas, my Christmas present would be tickets to go see Cirque in um, the Albert Hall. So we'd go down and we'd go and watch that show, whatever that was. So we did that quite a a few years, and I think that's how I got into it, really, Um, and just watched more of their stuff. Mm. And um, my idea was I was going to go to... Bretton hall do lightning and sound design for theater then i was gonna to go to london and there's a place called the circus space and you can do a degree in circus arts so i was like right i'll do a degree in lightning and sound design i'll do a degree in circus arts and then i can go to cirque and say i'm the most qualified person in your <laughs> industry that you, you know that you could yeah. need so can you can I have a job yeah. um but then uh, yeah i end up end up um staying in wakefield in the end so i finished my degree at, at Bretton, and then uh Retrained to be a teacher uh, for some reason. So I. Uh, so yeah. So what happened then? So you,
0: <laughs> so you were, you were studying here, and you did the qualification in yeah. and, in and, and sound set design, was it? Uh, and light and sound design. Light and sound design. Yeah, and yeah. Sound design. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, sorry. And so that were you trying? Did you try and get a job at that point then in that? Field? No,
1: no. I um, I was like, I was thinking about going to London to go to cir- uh, to, to circus space, and I yeah. um, but uh <laughs> classic old story i had a girlfriend in wakefield yeah. and i was like well i don't really want to I know a lot of my friends were here so i was like i don't really want to leave here to go to london for three years so um i i'd always thought about being a teacher when i was yeah. younger um i'd always kind of enjoyed school uh, and stuff so i thought well I'll, I'll go into doing that so i um i I don't know why I didn't go into just doing magic full-time. I think I didn't really have a grounding from, you know, I'd been at uni, so I'd not really been earning much cash while I was at uni and stuff. So what I did was I got a, um, uh, a place at Sheffield Hallam doing uh, teaching science. Because mm. I, I was good at physics at school and, right. and maths. So I, re- I did had to do this conversion course to go from my arts degree to teach physics. But then I did that. That took me a couple of years. And then uh, I started teaching. But it was while I was doing my teacher training, I was like, I started doing some magic again. So yeah. I kind of put it on hold while I was at uni. Um, basically, when I, before I went to uni, I broke up with the girlfriend that was the, um, the, the assistant. Yeah. Um, about six months later, I found out that she'd been in touch with my agents and told them I wasn't working anymore. So that's why right. I didn't have any oh, more no. gigs. So I thought, it's a bit dry on the gigs here. So I rang one of my agents and I said, uh, how come uh, you've not been getting me any gigs in? And they said, oh, well, she gave us a ring and told us she won't work anymore. I was like, "All oh, right, right, that was nice. So, so, so yeah, I thought they'd fall out of me. Not a clue. Um, right. Not not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, I'd, I stopped doing the, the shows, then the Illusion shows, um And I did a bit of close-up magic while I was at uni, Um, and then when I was doing my teacher training, a friend of my dad's uh, lived over here, and he had kids, and he remembered that I'd done some magic, and he said, "Would you mind coming and doing a show?" I thought I've not done a kids' show for five or six years, but I'll come and have a go. And I think I charged him forty-five quid, Mm. Um, and went and did like an hour show. But they loved it; the kids loved it, and the uh, the adults loved it as well. And so every kid's birthday you do you've got another 30 potential clients there that are <laughs> going to book you if you've enjoyed it but you something yeah. else so that kind of snowballed quite quick and I got to a point where I was doing um I was still teacher training so I was going to school and doing my placements in schools but then on a weekend I was doing three or four gigs mainly kids shows at that point and i started doing one and started advertising for weddings and things again start doing some close-up magic and stuff um but yeah i was doing loads um and it was right before the recession hit and i was thinking right well what i'll do i'll do this i'll become a teacher i'll teach for a year mm. and then after i've done my nqt year i'll quit teaching and do magic full-time because it's great but then obviously recession came around and now everyone was told to stop spending money so they stopped spending money on things like parties yeah um and so my kids bookings and all the other bookings just went down quite a bit right and so i ended up teaching for five years um while i built the business back up again and then it got to a point where it was strong enough for me to quit teaching and do magic full-time so i wanted to do that before i was 30 and i quit teaching at 28 went traveling for 12 months and came back and started full-time So, you were doing
0: the the magic all the time while you were teaching, basically? Yeah. On and off. off. Yeah, kept kept the business up. And
1: yeah, yeah, it went quiet, but I was probably down at, you know, a gig a week or something when it was at its lowest. But then, yeah, it soon built back up again to being two or three gigs a week. But I was working seven days a week at that point. So, you know, I'd teach all through the week, get all my stuff done on the evenings for school. And then all weekend, I'd be out doing parties and weddings and things. Um, So, how was teaching? Good, it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, towards the end, it changed a lot. Was that um, secondary school, then, in? Yeah, yeah. Secondary, I was, yeah. Um, but it, uh, yeah, sadly, what like, school did you teach in? Uh, it was just a decent school. We had, um, we had quite a big, quite a diverse catchment area. Um, so we had some kids that were really well behaved, um, some kids that were not so well behaved. <laughs> um, it it was weird. You had so you'd have kids that would be getting dropped off in Mummy and Daddy's rage Rover uh, in the morning, but then you'd have other kids that would turn up that wouldn't have had breakfast. You know, it'd mm. been that so There were quite quite a mix of kids, um, and there wasn't necessarily always a correlation between the well-behaved and <laughs> badly-behaved kids and where they came from, which yeah. was really interesting. But um, yeah, I think at the start of it, the well-behaved kids would sort of drag up. The badly behaved ones and bring them around towards the end there seemed to be a bit of a shift in dynamic and that the the badly behaved kids are more dragging the well-behaved ones down and it, it became a little bit like crowd control in the end on some on some occasions because uh, yeah I just I, I fell out of love with it a bit I think I um I did it for the five years I saw my form class through so I was given a form class as soon as I started uh, they were in there in year seven, so I mm. got to see them all the way through, all the way through school, which was good. Um, so I enjoyed doing that. That was for seeing them sort of grow up was great. Mm. Um, I think that was probably the most rewarding bit about it all, really. Uh, and then I found on actually about a year or two later, um, I didn't realize on Facebook you get this in the messages, there was um, ones that it rejects when you're not friends with people because I would just. You get friend requests from kids on Facebook all the time when you're at school, and I just reject everything. Yeah, um, but I found this little folder in uh, there, and for about three years there was all, cause I'd go travelling every summer, and I'd be away on results day. I had loads of messages from kids that were in my year 11 that had got the GCSE results right. and had sent all these messages through saying, you know, thanks so much, I got what I wanted and got this, that, and the other. And they'd obviously all landed in this junk folder, right. in this folder that, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't see. Um, but yeah, that, I think that was that was quite nice when I found that thing. And obviously, I'd never replied to any of them or anything, <laughs> but I just went through and re- you could read all the ones of the past. I had about two or three years worth of kids sending me messages saying, Aww. thank you so much for you know doing this and stuff so yeah that was good that was probably that was really rewarding yeah yeah other than that it kind of went a bit yeah it wasn't for me i guess though did you did it
0: teach you some things about working a crowd
1: yeah i think so um and it it, it's taught me a lot with to what i do now because i'm quite diverse in the stuff that i do um i do quite a few different things now um so you'll have seen uh the the magic stuff that i do for adults so like weddings and dinners and, and corporates and all that sort of stuff um that's a big part of my work that's all under matthew j magic but um i love my kids show still and mm. kids entertainers get do get sort of looked down upon a little bit by other other magicians and stuff have people that just do close-up magic but um i'll be doing it until well for as long as i can physically get away with it for you know like <laughs> i uh i love it like i just get to go and Mess around for an hour or two uh, And entertain kids which is which is great um, And it doesn't really get in the way Of my wedding work and my dinner work Because it'll be My standard thing is in the morning 11 till 1ish I go and do a kids show for a couple mm. of hours And then in the afternoon I'll go and do a wedding Or a dinner or something yeah. There's a lot of getting changed in the back of my van involved <laughs> us. Yeah but uh, I don't do clowning or anything for the kids But it, they just kind of don't dress as smart as I do for no. my other stuff But well, how does your um, outfit differ then? So my kids' show, I wear jeans. I've always worn bright red Converse, uh, a bright red T-shirt, and a waistcoat with my little logo on it and stuff. Right. Um, I'm toying with changing it around because I'm going to have to shave my head pretty soon because I'm losing my hair quite fast. So <laughs> when I've done that, I'll be fine for the weddings and stuff and the, the adults things, just with a the bald head, I'm okay. But I'm, I wear a baseball cap a lot of the time, backwards. I'm quite a kid. I'm 35, but I'm still a kid. So um, I think that I might... St- put a baseball cap into the kids outfit but you've got to wear it backwards because when you're on a stage a peak will um, shadows your eyes yeah yeah, so you can't it doesn't look as good but yeah I'll see I don't know but that's (laughs) that's what my kids show stuff is but yeah I just do with that I do a lot of juggling and unicycling and all that stuff and plate spinning and stuff with them and and things then do magic as well but the majority of the magic I do in the show is kind of me doing a trick that l- looks like I'm cheating and then isn't doing it. Really. Just <laughs> as, anything to get them shouting out as much as possible yeah. is, is great.
0: And is that the thing? Is it that, that sort of real reaction you get from the kids when they yeah. see the yeah, that's the
1: good, cause, Yeah, that's good. Because, yeah... It's amazing because you can tell which kids have seen a show before and they know it's all right to shout out and stuff. Like I I did a show on uh, Saturday evening. It was a kids' show in the evening, but it was a, a family party. And um, you could tell the kids had never seen any live entertainment before. And I'm doing the show, and they're just they're sat staring, <laughs> enjoying the show. Yeah. Uh, but I really had to sort of GM up to get something out. Because, you know, I'll be doing something where... Um, so I do this. I start my show off with like a colour changing handkerchief thing, and uh, I tell them that I tell them how to do the trick. And I say, well, you need to hide the orange handkerchief in your hand, and I shove it inside my hand. And I say, you know, you keep it inside your hand. and um, don't open your hand because if they see it, they'll know you're cheating. And then I've some smoke starts coming out of my top hat, which is on my table. <laughs> so then I open my hand that's supposed to have the handkerchief in it to then lean over, then to just to waft, like casually waft this smoke away, and then close my hand back up again. Now the kids will just shout like mad because you've opened your hand up uh, and the the handkerchief isn't there um (laughs) but yeah sometimes you'll do it like on saturday i did it and the the kids are just like am i allowed to say anything you know they're really like well behaved because they're always told to not shout out and behave themselves and be polite and stuff um so as soon as you cross that barrier which i've got a few ways of getting around that um but yeah, once you've done that, and then them shouting out and things all the time, that's what you want, really. So mm. uh, I always say to the photographer to come and stand, not to s- photograph my show, to, to come and stand be behind shoulder. me, yeah, yeah, and take pictures of the kids' faces when they're shouting out and all that sort of yeah. stuff. That's what you want to see. You don't want to see my ugly mug just <laughs> stood down a lot of <laughs> back a load of kids' heads, do you? Um, so, so yeah, that, that's another sort of thing that I do. But yeah. I think I do a lot. I kind of. Ended up teaching magic quite a bit Um, So when I came back from travelling From a year away In between teaching and doing magic full time I didn't have many bookings in Because I'd been, the last section of it I travelled from Santiago in Chile to uh, New York, but all over land So like, I was Very rarely connected to the internet or anything So um, so, yeah I was like, right, how do I get some bookings back So I started Doing a magic class And put the vouchers on uh, Groupon and voucher and Living Social and all that sort of stuff, mm. um, and a lot of people came to these magic classes. So I started to put together this course and I taught about three hundred and fifty people magic in the end through these classes, uh, and that worked really well for me because it was like advertising because those people would do a bit of magic for somebody mm. and that person would say, "Oh, great, do you think you could do magic at our wedding?" And uh, they'd say, "Well, no, I don't feel confident enough to do that," but the guy that taught me um, can come and do. Yeah. Some magic for you. So then, that's how I got my bookings up, which was, which was sort of a side effect that I hadn't seen coming. Really, I'd only done the classes to kind of just generate a bit of income while I was getting myself back on my feet. Mm. Um So that worked really well. And then, I there wasn't much money in that though because it was by the time you have discounted down for the vouchers and stuff, it was it itself was quite quite uh, what was the word? Not an expensive thing, but just didn't pay very much. Yeah. So. I filmed the whole masterclass and put that online on uh, on Udemy. So there's a magic class you can get with me doing teaching magic tricks on Udemy. Uh, so put that on there.
0: What's the Udemy by the
1: Udemy way? Udemy is a website which is like an online video learning platform. Oh, okay. So. There's loads of different courses on there, um, you know, photography courses and all sorts of stuff. So I people thought, pay to access that. Video yeah, they, yeah, they pay to to have it for life, basically, and then right. they can go down and go watch all the videos and stuff like that. So there are a few other magic courses on there as well. But um, I, I stuck mine on there a couple of years ago, and a few people have signed up to that. But then there's also I started a company a few years back called Letterbox Magic. Um, so basically, it's a magic subscription box. So I had this idea. Probably ten years ago when I first started getting graze boxes, but it was what they do is they get a little box of tricks through the post every month, and they go online and they put the password in, and the videos teach you how to do all the tricks. Which is me sat in my log cabin where I film all the um all the tricks. I built a cabin in my garden, what well, me and my dad did, right just for the half of it's a studio, the other half is all where the the stock is, if you will. So all right. the little magic tricks are that I send out to people.
0: it's your HQ basically. Yeah,
1: yeah, Letterbox Magic HQ it's called. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's at the bottom of my garden. Um, so yeah. Uh, I did that, and it's uh God, it's tough to 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 market that like mm. you know if I market myself like i can do for magic and i do three or four weeks uh jobs a week i'm busy you know mm. i'm I'm good with that you need to be in the hundreds of subscribers to yeah. actually get because the the margins are so low uh, to actually make a, any kind of profit on it but um to be honest for me i i just i love setting it all up i do it i have subscri- i've got quite a few subscribers that I send them out every month, and mm. uh, they enjoy the product and stuff like that. So it's not going to make me a millionaire, but it was. A, <laughs> it, it's a fun thing to do. So yeah. I, I teach a lot of magic via that thing as well. So.
0: Well, in many ways, that's a, just that's the the secret to it. In 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 some ways, isn't it? Is just to do it and have those an audience, and maybe that audience will get bigger at one stage. Yeah, but yeah. If you've enjoyed doing it, and they yeah. get, they're getting something out of it, then. In many ways, that's that's enough, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it is fun, and it's it's led me to some different bits and bobs, and and doing different things. So, mm. um, I've uh, done quite a few gigs where I've gone and taught a bit of magic to to the kids, and because I'm quite uh, what's the word? I'm quite well, I'm quite experienced in doing it now. Um, it's good for me to teach them. Uh, there's a we do a regular class. I me and a friend of mine uh, do a regular class once a week. In a school in Wakefield Teaching magic there They have this uh, Sort of extracurricular programme And they'll have us in For seven weeks to do magic And then we do seven weeks Of circus skills And then we mm. do Seven weeks of magic um, And the whole thing of, of teaching magic And sort of getting kicked Out of the magic circle And all that stuff For giving away tricks I've always thought My opinion is I'm I'm happy to teach anyone magic who's got a genuine interest in wanting to learn how to do the tricks themselves. Mm. I've got no interest whatsoever in teaching somebody that just wants to know a secret so next time they see a trick they can go, I know that's done. Um, If someone genuinely wants to learn a trick, then of course I'll teach them because how else would they get into doing magic how did mm. I learn doing magic it was from people teaching me tricks Um so yeah I'm quite happy to teach people who want to learn tricks and don't want to learn or don't want to learn the stuff just so they can you know show up the next magician they say mm. they want them to have a proper kind of Yeah. How do you vet people like that though do you mean do you? You can tell I think right. yeah yeah you can always tell Um, you know the ones that put the effort put the effort into practicing and stuff like that so all the guys that came to my magic classes I say guys sorry that's sexist really there was probably there were, there were mainly guys it was mm. mainly blokes i had one or two uh, ladies that came as well and they really enjoyed it um but the majority of the ones in that class was um, granddad's christmas present A lot of the time i think was uh there were a lot of blokes in the sort of the <laughs> 60s were coming and right. uh, they enjoyed it I, I did them in bars and stuff so they all turned up and had a pint and we did the magic tricks all night but you could yeah. tell that they were really keen on wanting to learn magic they wanted to know How to do the tricks so they could go out and show the tricks to people. So, so yeah, that's that's good. And Mm. there's one guy actually who's become a professional magician off the back of um, right doing the class things. You're getting some commission. I should do. Yeah, I should bring (laughs) him (laughs) up No, it's um, it's just great to see people doing stuff though. You know, working tricks themselves and yeah. I love going to the magic class and uh, we do in the school and the kids show me stuff that they've learnt and they've worked on or mm. sometimes and sometimes I've got to pretend that I, I know how it works and <laughs> I'm thinking I don't, know that, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> so, yeah. You
0: mentioned in the, the kids shows that you do the juggling. Is yeah. It, is it nice to, to still be able to do that, the,
1: the first love? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's in my family show as well and stuff and um, I I like... Uh, I don't know I just like doing stuff that's kind of a little bit a bit different a bit a bit more impressive I mean there's a lot there's a lot of magicians that literally just do magic and might mm. do one or two bits of juggling but I mean I've always finished my kids show on unicycling and juggling on my unicycle when I've got like a kid up to help me out and all that sort of stuff and there's loads mm. of playing around with that um there's a bit in my show where uh, I do something called a roller bowler so me and my granddad made the first one of those uh, out of a windowsill it's basically a plank of wood about a meter long um, and about a foot wide, and then there's a tube underneath. Like um, the first thing we used was a bit of the old yellow gas pipe, you know, mm. the uh, yellow tubing. So that goes underneath. The board goes on top, and then you stand on the board and, and balance on the board. Really. So I had one of those when I was a kid, um, and then a few years ago I was like uh, bored, so I bought another one, but bought a proper one to put in the show. But this one stacks up, so you put the you go on the roller bowl a bit, but then you put four other tubes standing mm. on that board and then another board goes on top of that, if you will. Yep. And then I've got four more tubes that go on top of that and then another <laughs> board that goes on top of that. So you've got this, like, stack of, you know, three boards high and I juggle knives on the top of there usually, in, right. like my family show when I'm doing that. Um, but, yeah, I think it's quite... When people see you doing stuff like that, they go, oh, it's not just a trick. You know, yeah. you're not just doing... A, a, you've got quite a diverse skill set, then it's it, it's good. Um, I walk on my hands over the, the top of two kids, quite often lay two kids down in a <laughs> in a row, and I'll sort of run. I say I'm going to get from one end to the other without my feet touching the floor. I'm acting like I'm going to jump over the kids and stuff. But then I run up and stand on my hands, so there's a hand on either side, and walk on my hands over the top of the two kids, and then land down the other side and stuff. Um, so that's quite impressive because... I'm not the most athletic of looking fellas. Uh, <laughs> and when you do stuff like that, people go, oh, well, I wasn't expecting that because, yeah. you know, uh, it's uh, it just takes them by surprise, I think. And that's that's what the the fun is there. I think we're doing juggling <laughs> and
0: stuff. And we am guessing that to do the, um, the roller bowler and the unicycling, that took a lot of practice. Yeah, and I, think a, lot of I think the key was learning over. when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but did you do both of those when you were a teenager then?
1: Yeah, I learned. Um, so the roller bowler... The stacking stuff I had to learn Sort of a few years ago When I when I bought the stacks I never mm. had stacks before right. um, But no, unicycling I learnt, I got my unicycle For my 12th birthday I think um, And Yeah, I, but it was half term so i just get on my unicycle. And you, the only way to learn is just by doing it. Uh, holding on to people and stuff just is, doesn't really work. What you do is just get on. I got on holding the lamppost outside my house. And then i just pedal as far as I could and fall off. Now, you mm. only go sort of like half a revolution with your feet yeah. at first. And you just keep doing that. And you fall off a lot. But you soon learn to, like, catch the seat. And you soon learn that you just take your feet off the pedals. And um, on a unicycle, even my giraffe unicycle, which is the big tall one, um, you'll ju- lest the wheels jam somewhere. You're just going to fall straight down, yeah. And the wheel's going to roll away from you. Um, so as soon as you remember to take your feet off the pedals, <laughs> you, you're going to land on your feet. So it's not it's not bad. Um, but that's the only way to learn is to get on, pedal, fall off, get on, pedal, fall off, and just do that over and over again. And would it be in the half turn week when I got the unicycle, that's how yeah. I learned was just doing that every day, every day, like, for hours at the end. And then as soon as you can go, you know. 30, 40 feet You can just keep going then Because you've got it You've got where your balance is um, All you're doing really Is you're constantly falling over And correcting yourself um, So that's how you, you ride a U-cycle. It's, it's just constant correction Of, of falling really Yeah. Um, that's why when you see someone That stays still We call it hovering So what you'll see them the, the wheels Just going backwards and forwards And you're sort of pedalling it yeah. uh, Half a revolution each way That's called hovering And I had to learn that on my draft unicycle for when I was street entertaining because I'd, that's how you would, like, build a crowd and get towards your hat line at the end is where, yeah. f- you you know, you you riding a unicycle, I'd be up on the top of that and I'd be hovering sometimes for, you know, 15 minutes or so. and right. It really wears out your left leg because it's my right. left leg that does all the work, so, yeah. Why just the left leg? Because that one's at the bottom, so, like... Oh, I see, um yeah. So, you, you kind of... It kind of swings from kind of... Let's say... Um, about eight o'clock to four o'clock it sort of swings around right. the bottom of the yeah. back and forth that's and where the pressure is is it yeah all on yeah. your left leg because that's the one that's extended furthest yeah. and then your right leg I mean I do a thing where I'll get it off my unicycle at the end of my, my kids show now I'll just use my left leg and take my right leg off and say I'm going to step down and then you have your foot in the air um, and you can sort of balance like that for quite a while with your foot right. off the off the pedal <laughs> it's just you'll see people like spinning rings and stuff on the right leg because the balance balancing you doing all the work with the left leg really but mm. yeah just get tired after a bit <laughs> <laughs> so with all this unicycling
0: and learning all the tricks when you were at school were you basically just the kid that did magic or were you, was there other stuff going on as well
1: yeah I think so um I w- was naturally pretty good at subjects at school um they they I, I was head boy at school they made me head boy at the end of it which right. was which was nice um but yeah they I don't know. I did. I got on with, with a lot, a lot of friends at school. Um, in my in my sort of little group of friends, we were like a, a little group of geeks that were we we got on really well. So there's about I say a lot. There's about five five or six of us that got on really well. You know, we were like that. Like, my best my best mates. Mm. But I think because we did our own thing, we weren't really. We weren't really ashamed of anything we did. So, like, I did magic for a living. Uh, not for a living. I was, <laughs> I was 12. Uh, but I did magic and juggling and unicycling and stuff. And, like, I used to unicycle around my village, and unicycle to the shops and stuff like right. that. Um, I didn't really get picked on, though. I didn't get bullied because I think, people you know, some people might have made a comment, but then... <laughs> Soon realised there was n- there was no point because there was no, no you know, uh, you'd be like someone calling you know, would call magic boy or whatever. You'd be like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do. Um, yeah. yeah, so I don't. There's no offence taken. No, I think even you, you just seemed to be that. I don't know that sort of because nothing really upset you from what you were doing. It was like, well, yeah, I do love doing magic. That's what. I'm t- <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What so did the other mates do? Did they
0: have their own things? There?
1: They had their own little bits. I mean, one of my friends, he was an incredible artist. Like, draw, drew these draw such amazing pictures and stuff. Um Yeah, and then we, we were all just a little bit. We were like, we were, we were like the in betweeners really. I think it was like we were sort of the misfits <laughs> between, like you know, cool and being completely uncool. We were yeah. somewhere in the middle, and yeah. just uh, yeah. But now we keep ourselves to ourselves and invent weird games and stuff, just like random (laughs) games and that, that we'd uh, do at lunchtime to amuse ourselves. But we'd, a few of my mates dabbled in magic tricks as well um, and stuff. And uh, yeah, I had a mate who I was in Secrets for quite a few years. It was actually in Secrets where a guy taught me to juggle. Uh, one of the guys there taught me how to juggle in the first place like showed right. me the patterns that was the first that was the first right. one i want to learn yeah yeah um and i was on a sea cadet camp for the week and i just spent all week trying to ju- trying to and is
0: that like scouts sort of thing
1: yeah it's a bit like um so you've got like sea cadets air cadets army cadets and things right. like that so it was like a, a a young royal navy really yeah um but that was that was great i was really fortunate to be of that that was um 'cause so cuz we'd go sailing every weekend and stuff so we you know we'd go off and do top racing and stuff and mm. kayaking everywhere and we were it was TS Invincible was the the secret unit in Chorley where I was at um but they were teamed with HMS Invincible the the, the aircraft carrier so I spent I think I did a full week on HMS Invincible one week And I think I did like a long weekend And as like a 13, 14 year old To go and spend a week on a warship was brilliant It was, uh, it was ace You know, you yeah. go around and do all the stuff And um, that's where I ended up performing for um, Prince Charles on the, oh, on yeah. the ship Because he'd, he'd flown on to do like a little bit of a tour And we were out and about And you could always see... Um, my secret uniform uh, my number 8s there's all whatever's the picture you can see you can see like it looks like I've got a fag packet in my top pocket <laughs> but it was always a deck of cards that I had in my pocket and I was walking down the corridor and prince charles was coming up the other way and we were all talking, he said hello and everything like that and I said I was about 13 I think 14 and I was like oh can I show you a trick and, uh, said yeah so I showed him a showed him a card trick there, and then, a, yeah yeah on the uh, in the corridor or well, in the in the, right. um, the gangway type thing <laughs> uh, yeah so I showed him a trick there with his um, and his guys there and stuff and loved it so I was like right, brilliant that's going on my website so, so how did how did the juggling come up though on the seeker cadets? how did that happen just we were on a camp for the week and we used to you know you'd be up at the secret unit for a week and everyone would just camp well call it camp you'd stay there on these mattresses you'd sleep mm. on the floor and and stuff and one of the guys Stuart Cadman I think he, he, yeah because his dad was the sort of the CEO of the the thing he juggled and he just showed me this pattern because I had taken these juggling balls with me. I thought, right, when well, I've got them downtown, I'll have a little go. And he knew what he was doing and showed me the pattern of how you juggle basically mm. with three. And uh, again, it, you just crack on, you just get your three balls and you're going to have a go at it, and then you keep. Just keep doing it until you can get there And that's what I did, really um, I used to say the alphabet really fast in my head To see how far through the alphabet I could get Before I dropped the right. juggling balls I don't know why that would have helped me concentrate <laughs> on something else But, yeah What was your uh, record? Uh, I, I don't in my head, for some reason I can remember getting to, like, M&N and, and round there for, for ages <laughs> And I was, like, stuck on that like, I was even get as far as I could And then drop them And I'd be like, start again But, yeah, I, was, I would have been I would have been ten, uh Yeah 10 I would have been in the junior section then Because I definitely had some juggling balls When I was in primary school Mm. Um, I'd started juggling before I left primary school uh, And learnt a little bit of magic then as well I think Played with it And then Got more into it when I got up uh, went snagging to mushy pea in manchester
2: yeah
0: did yeah. it always feel like it was going to be a hobby rather than something that you could do for a living or did you did you feel like you could do it i mean i know you talked about yeah doing the de Soleil and all that kind of stuff but before that did yeah i it feel I like something you, you do could it. do it
1: yeah i think it's something where you go well that's something i definitely want to do um but also i think um the whole job security thing of, of what you're going to do and stuff and and going out and being a teacher and stuff to, to make sure I've got some kind of income yeah. um, proper income coming in um, that gave me quite a lot of sort of security really I think because when I was a teacher that's when I bought my house that's when I you know started putting some savings together and stuff and it was only when I was like quite happy that I was stable enough to then yeah. go, well, you know what, I'll, I'll have a go at it full time. I've got friends that literally left college and went straight into doing magic full time and um, they've made a big success of it, really. Like, two of my best mates, we we all do the same job and we all live round Wakefield. So, right. Um, yeah, one of them lives in Harbury, uh, sorry, in Osit, and then the other one lives uh, in Batley. Um, but we... That's really good because they're both... Brilliant at what they do as well. Um, I'm there going, I can't say as well. Can I? That sounds really arrogant. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing all right. You can it. say it. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, yeah, they're both brilliant at what they do. So that's great having that as a network because if I can't do a gig for whatever reason, I can confidently send Tom or Darren yeah. to go and do it, or put them in touch with the people um, to go and do the gig because I know either either Tom or Darren is going to do a fantastic job, and then that's going to lead to more work for all of us so we kind of we always do that if we can't do a gig we'll give one of the guys a ring and see if they can do it because you know that guy's going to go and do a good job you don't Mm. want to just randomly send somebody to go do the job that's not going to be any good because then your reputations yeah my reputation the reputation of magicians in general yeah i mean there was quite a stigma attached to magicians and stuff for quite a long time i think um you know that now it's getting loads better What Uh,
0: what was that then what
1: was that stigma I think it was always this like look how good i am type thing um because that was what tv magicians were doing and it was very you know it was very much like look how great i am i'm i'm on stage here and you're one of my minions i'm going to sort of belittle you a little bit from from my my higher platform whereas now i see it more as especially when i'm doing like dinners or weddings or whatever and you go around to groups of people it's more like right well i spent all my time as a in this. Useless stuff, but, <laughs> um, but it's quite cool, and so we can sort of en- enjoy it together, if you yeah. will. Yeah. So you kind of more like you're sort of witnessing the magic alongside the people that you're doing it for, if you will, rather mm. than going look how brilliant I am at this. It's more like right, well, a bit like tongue-in-cheek type stuff. So yeah,
0: so it's um, less stagey and more in the in the crowd. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're like well, primarily, I'm an entertainer. I'm not a magician. I'm yeah. like um, it's just like. I'm an entertainer, and and the tricks are like my vehicle to entertain somebody. Whereas a comedian is vehicle to entertain them as his jokes. So yeah. mine is like the tricks. Whether I need to do random gags in there, is, I do quite cheesy gags myself. To be fair, because it just <laughs> makes me laugh more than anything else. Um, but yeah, uh, kind of you want to do stuff that's just entertaining, really, and mm. and. I'll go up to groups of people and just chat to them now rather than doing magic uh, straight away. Um, generally, they'll know because you'll have been around other people and you, you're getting reactions out of the people as well. And once they've heard some groups of people laughing and clapping and stuff and everyone's mm. looked around and see what that is, yeah. that makes it so much easier when you're going to the next group of people because they're like, oh, well, we want to enjoy ourselves like those people did. Yeah. Um, so that, that works a treat. Um, but, yeah, you generally walk over and start chatting to them and then go into doing some magic if you're gonna do it. You don't walk over to a table and say, Hi guys, you wanna see a trick? Yeah. like Well no. Was, <laughs> we we're just having a chat. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's it, it has changed a lot in yeah. that way, I think. And um yeah getting people's opinions to change and the amount of people that say to me all the time they're like oh well I thought Magician was going to be rubbish but you know really enjoyed it and stuff and um, when I go and do a kids show you're a family entertainer now you're not a you're not a kids entertainer yeah like years ago you'd go to do a kids show you'd be at someone's house all the parents would go and sit in the back (laughs) room and have a pint and you'd be stuck in the front room with all the kids doing the show yeah whereas now it's more often than not it's like a church hall or something yeah and they'll be 20-30 20-30 kids there but then there'll be 20 or 30 parents that'll stay as well and they'll sit around the outside uh, edges and stuff and it, you've got to get them in, in within about two or three minutes if you don't get within two or three minutes particularly the acoustics aren't great mm. parents talk like talking and chatting can be really loud so yeah. if you've not hooked them into the show there is, it's a distraction for the kids mm. that are watching the show whereas if you can hook them into the show and the parents are watching the show because they're Conditioned to clap in the right places And all that sort of stuff That will yeah. drag the kids along with them So it's kind of Yeah it can, it can really make or break a, a kids show If you're um, As to whether you get the parents and What do you on find side.
0: works best in that first two or three minutes Is it like it's doing something physical Or is it something that you say or? So
1: I always do um but I've done things a bit different with my kids shows So my table for my kids show is uh, I've spent quite a bit of time and effort uh Planning it out And quite a bit of cash in it It's got a big... Um, tv screen on the front and comes up and says happy birthday and the kid's name comes on there and all that right. sort of stuff and um it's the second one uh the ones that i had really the previous one uh, was again flight cases with the computer monitor in the top but i had that for about seven or eight years and then changed it as technology's got better and right. lighter because i was <laughs> doing my back in lifting that one out <laughs> the, the van but uh, yeah so my top i have a top out on my table as well and i have Basically, I can make it smoke come out of it and stuff like that. Um, so, right away, when I've sat the kids down, I start talking and smoke starts coming out of my hat and the kids right. are shouting out. And just because that stuff like that's a bit different, I think that seems to hook the parents in all the time. They're like, right. oh, well, this guy's not just a clown with a you know, <laughs> who's going to be calling people silly sausages. is like a guy that's you know. It, it's a bit more
0: sophisticated Yeah Yeah It's yeah.
1: kind of like Sophisticated kids entertainment But still There's some stuff in my show It's just stupid <laughs> like, But like, But they it, it, It's Yeah It's just Because it's different To what they've seen before Or mm. what they were expecting They'll then go Oh I'll give this guy A minute or two And then I'll do The first I do a Like say Color changing silk Usually is my, my first thing Because I know it's going to get The kids shouting out loads And there's quite a bit Of skill involved mm. In that as well And And um, That'll get the parents in as well because they go, oh right, okay, so he actually knows what he's doing as well. Yeah. He's not just you know pushing boxes around or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that because there's people have seen uh, a vanishing handkerchief with a, with a fake thumb for years, yeah. and you get dads that'll be like, you know, you'll sit here on the side. He's like, oh, he's got a fake, he's got a fake thumb on. Got <laughs> and you're like, uh, but I don't, I don't use a no. I don't use the thumb tip for that. I do I do something completely different. So. <laughs> you'll hear him like witching and then i'll just kind of flash my thumbs at him while he's doing right. it and he'll go his mail go he's not he's not fake thumb and he's like oh yeah uh, yeah so that's good because then they're hooked in there yeah. because then they'll watch the show because they want to see what's going on so so yeah um there's a few quite a few little sort of tactics if you will to do yeah. it or methods to to get people to watch the show but sometimes it's you, you just can't get it sometimes you've got you know bad acoustics in a room parents will be chatting yeah. away before you even get there and you're like oh this is going to be a toughie <clears throat> yeah. um because if you turn your speaker up uh set sound system up they'll just talk louder and so yeah you've got to, those ones you've got to really like you kind of close the kids in a bit more and get yeah. get uh, down and on a smaller show really which uh works but it's uh it's not as fun as when you've got the whole room like with you, which is good. Yeah, um, but yeah.
0: How but does it work then, in terms of your shows, whether it's for kids or for adults? But in terms of the the tricks, I mean, do you come up with your own tricks now, or is it more that there's a, a whole bank of tricks out there that you draw from?
1: There's loads. Like, um, like was well, saying before about JB Magic, I knew the catalog inside out because mm. it never really changed. It, it was like you know there was a few new bits that would come out every now and then, but n- nothing major. Um, but now, like new magic is. Big business, like that's absolutely huge. There's some massive companies about now. Um, Murphy's Magic in the US is huge. Vanishing Ink's a massive company in the UK now as well, um, and in the US. And they sell um, sort of
0: off the shelf. They, tricks yeah, things, like, there'll yeah. be yeah.
1: people producing stuff all the time now, and then marketing it. Sometimes it's a bit annoying because you'll you'll watch a trailer for a trick. Hmm and the trailers can be a little bit deceiving as to how good the actual trick is so um, <laughs> there's a trick in
0: itself yeah in the it's a
1: trick or whether it's a worker so right. you call it a worker if it's a trick that you can actually work all the time okay so, right it's you know, another worker is it? a worker yeah yeah okay. so if you're so i'm chatting to tom and darren we'll talk about tricks as such and uh yeah common question is is it a worker is it one that you can actually do from table to table right is there a 20 minute reset because you know someone's not going to pay you to be sat in the toilet for 20 minutes resetting the trick are they <laughs> um, things like angles and stuff like that uh, to what angles are like and yeah I sp- spend a lot of money on magic that you then get get hold of it and you think well I'll have a look and I'll play with that and you get mm. hold of it and you just go well I can't use that right? because it's just not going to work it's not I can't do the trick for people around about because there's too many like sight lines or there's yeah too big a reset or the, the gimmick's too fiddly or doesn't look right or whatever. So um, so yeah, I think there's a mixture. So you, you come up with stuff and you develop stuff and uh, just change little bits around I think and I... I I do sort of my standard kind of card routine that's a lot of magicians do and an ambitious card routine, which is where the card comes to the top of the deck quite a card signed and mm. it jumps to the top of the deck quite a lot and then comes out your pocket and stuff like that um so I have a sort of go to couple of routines that I've been doing for years um but you could do them with your eyes closed you know because you know full well how to do it, mm. but then occasionally I'll chuck in something different or something that I've not done for a long time or mm. um, I randomly remember stuff, go, oh, why well, I've not done that trick for years because exactly. it'll fall out of my set and then I'll just forget about it and then all of a sudden something will remind me of it and I'll be like, oh, I'll do that this week and, and try that do out. you don't have like a, a folder in the in the H, in HQ
0: with all the, all the really, tricks? Yeah,
1: I should have a, have a list of them but I think you just end up accumulating stuff over time and i've got my little magic box that i take to um my gigs and stuff and that's Mm. got quite a few bits in it but i don't wear a jacket when i'm working i always wear a waistcoat and trousers and um so i'm quite limited on pocket space so um i'll get to somewhere and fill all my pockets up with the stuff that i need and sometimes something will stay in the case sometimes it'll come out the case and it'll come with me to do the gig so um yeah and then you you have your comfort zones you have your your comfort zone tricks that you do, and mm. like I say, you can do with your eyes closed. So you just go and do that trick, and then you can concentrate on the performance. Then, because you're not concentrating on doing the trick, yeah, because muscle memory does all that for you. So you know what bits you're doing. And when I was teaching the teaching the masterclass thing, I went in a polo shirt one night uh, to do the the thing, and I was doing a trick, my standard routine of a trick, and I went to pull my sleeve up on my shirt, like to just shove it up a little bit. But there was no sleeve there because obviously it was up, up at the top. <laughs> but I didn't realise that's part of my move. So that I didn't, I never knew, I right. never knew that every time I do that trick, there's that particular point in it where I just, even if it doesn't need shoving up, just shove my shirt sleeve <laughs> up a little bit on one side. And it's just because it's all part of the muscle yeah, memory. You've done I do it that, that many bit times. Yeah, every single time. And I, I looked like a right idiot. So I was going <laughs> to, I was going to shove my sleeve up, but it wasn't there. And, that's not right. But yeah, you, you don't realise a lot of these bits that you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, have but you, have, you, have you
0: ever had any times where it's just gone totally wrong? You just had. A yeah. Bit of a mare?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I right, have uh, quite a lot. Uh, it really? happens. Happens quite a lot. But it's how you then deal with that, that yeah. problem. Um, so one of the golden rules of magic is that you never do the same trick twice. Um, that's because the. Thing that works on in my favour is that people never know what's coming. Yeah. So the amount of times I've done something wrong, and then I just have to change the trick. I can change the trick and do a different trick. Hmm. Might not be as good as the one I was going to do in the first place, but it still gets a reaction, that is an effect. They don't know that it's not gone yeah, to plan. They don't know that it's. They not don't, done, They'd right. know if you told them, but they wouldn't. Yeah. Or if you yeah.
0: if you gave it away.
1: Yeah. If I sort of yeah sort of hinted that I'd done it wrong, but otherwise they they won't. People don't know what's coming So they don't know I did want to When was it? Uh, January A gig we did in January it was a massive dinner In Manchester it was like 800 and something people there um, There was five Of us magicians on it And we um, It was busy it was we had, we had about About 10 tables to do each 10, 10 or 12 tables to cover each uh, Oh yeah Because there been 80 tables So there was and five of us, so between the five of us, we had to cover these 80 tables, so 16 tables a piece and t- um, so in an hour and a half. So we're having an absolutely hammer you know, you go to the table, quick trick, next one and stuff. Um, but yeah, I went to this table and I was halfway through doing this trick and got the deck of cards out that should have been um, a particular deck of cards that I needed <laughs> and it just wasn't. And oh like, no. I just fanned through the cards and they were the completely the wrong deck and I was like... <laughs> I mean, I've already got, you know, I'm already committed. I've already got someone that's thought of their card and someone right. else that's thought of another card over this side. And those cards should have been next to each other in my deck with a big arrow pointing to them with what it was. And <laughs> it was just it was just a regular deck of cards I picked up. And I was like... So what did you do? Uh, I got out of it. I I had to... Um, <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I cheated like an <laughs> Elvadoo. But then I had to, yeah, I had to just cull those cards and get those cards out and um, and revealed them uh, right. from a pocket instead which was you know went through the, I went through the deck and said oh well I was a bit sort of shocked with it I went through and I said oh if you have a look uh, your cards aren't actually in here, and they looked yeah. through, and they couldn't see either of them. And I just I took them out of my pocket, and they thought that was the trick. Then right. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, got away with it. <laughs>
0: but that's great, though, isn't it? That that's what—that's part of it, isn't it? You've got to think on your feet and find a yeah, way out. Yeah, you've of got to be problems. able to,
1: uh, and I think know it. Sometimes knowing like loads of different bits and stuff, you can go, all oh, right, okay, well, I've messed this up, but I can get out of it by doing mm. this or get out of it by doing that. Or sometimes you just have to go, well, well, that's not worked. Mm. Um, so certain some stuff I do, there's you know, th- there is. Uh, a little hit rate where it's not going to work um and if you watch like Darren Brown his stuff doesn't always work no. uh he'll be doing it and he'll fail at one time just for things but then that make I think that makes it better though because it shows you that he can mm. fail yeah. um so you know yeah and about
0: speaking of Darren Brown I mean and there's loads of magicians on TV at the moment mm. aren't there and Britain's got talent has yeah. had loads of yeah. musicians magicians recently haven't they yeah yeah does it feel like yeah. a bit of a a good time to be a magician now?
1: Yeah, yeah, it works. It's, it's good um, because people are more receptive to magic now. Um, so very rarely now do you go to a table and some you know someone will say we don't want to see any magic. Yes. Um, uh, that's because I've got better at it, I think, as well. But also it's. I think the whole attitude towards it's changed. Yeah. When you go up to a table and if you're going over and there's a guy, you, you know, sometimes you would walk up to a table <laughs> in the past and uh, you'd be like, I uh, oh, good I'm Matt, I'm part of the entertainment. Let's come and show you some magic. Would you like to see some, would you like to see some magic or whatever? And sometimes sort of, the guy who sort of asserted himself as the alpha on that table would go, no, we don't see the magic. <laughs> and then you'd look around and there'd be two or three other people at the table thinking, well, I I'd quite want to see you. <laughs> It, so then my job then is to go to the table next to him and make sure those guys really enjoy yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. And then they'll go, uh, will you come you to McCormen. our table and show us some tricks? <laughs> and you just do every trick then, just staring at that one guy <laughs> yeah. while you're doing the trick. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that doesn't happen so much anymore. It no. did happen quite a lot about 10 years ago. But yeah, people are more receptive to it because of the stuff. Mm. So like Simon Cowell, notoriously used to hate magicians on Britain's Got Talent. But... Um, in the past few years, they actually start to quite like and So, um, you know, Jamie Raven did really well, didn't mm. he? And then um, Richard, oh god, I can't remember his now. Yeah, I can't you remember his surname. The, um, the Soldier, yeah. did really well. Um, and then Izzy Simpson did great. Um, so, there's a few more now as well, who to me are quite big names uh, in magic and in the entertainment bit like Jonathan Goodwin was on last week yeah. um, when he set himself on fire on the uh, upside down straight jacket escape. Yeah. now he's done loads of TV stuff as Jonathan and he's done loads of other bits and bobs around in the past but he's relatively unknown enough for a show like Britain's Got Talent to yeah. be bringing him out so that I and mean, he's not really a magician as an escapologist escape artist yeah. Um, but yeah there's a lot of those different type of magic acts that have made it Good. Are you tempted uh, to give it a go on like? Being, no, got talent I, or anything? no, I no. I avoid. Loads of people have asked me that in the past, and they they ask. You know, you get a, an email from them probably once every year or so, uh, saying, "Do you want to come and do it?" And you have
0: had an email from them?
1: I've had a few, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, over the over the past ten years or so, they'll send. You know, every every couple of years, I get an email saying, "Do you want to come and do it this year?" And I wonder, no, I don't really Why? because. So quite a few years ago i had a bit of an experience with it probably eight years ago i saw an act that was um was my girlfriend at the time she was uh, in a um cheerleading group if mm. you will and we went over to manchester for them to audition and the audition and stuff and it was great and they absolutely loved them. Uh, the judges loved them. they used to throw each other in the air and all that sort of stuff so mm. they'd be doing like um it was more acro than it was Cheerleading, it was wasn't like shaky pom poms. It was like people flying through the air and stuff. They loved him. Four yeses or whatever it was took him down to London to do the the next bit and filmed all that lot and everything like that. Um, And then they were just never shown at all for anything because. I mean, they weren't shown on screen. On screen, yeah, Yeah. Uh, and that the reason they they were four yeses. Yeah, but that year was the year that Spellbound won. The thing, right. and they were, um, you know, they Same were sort uh, a sa- similar sort of thing. Um, and for all honesty, better yeah. uh, than, the, than the cheerleading thing. It was more, it was more my sort of thing. Anyway, it was more sort of circus style spellbound. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah. Um But from a TV production point of view, you don't want anything even similar to that category, do you? If you want to right. show something that's amazing, you don't want something that's anywhere close. You want them to be. Way out, uh, out the world, uh, out in front, don't you? So, so yeah, that's the reason why they wouldn't have been ever shown there. So from then I thought, well, yeah, they don't really care about the acts there. And you've I've seen some magicians on there that there's some magicians that have done really well. I didn't think were necessarily very good Um, but then there's other magicians that I think are brilliant magicians they've done all the misdirection in the right places they've done all the bits in the right places but the camera angles that they've chosen to use like in the edit have just shown all the wrong stuff, mm. and it, it's made the magician look rubbish. And I'm like, well, no, he's brilliant. Yeah, but they've chosen to make him look naff, um, which isn't fair, really, because it can like ruin someone's career. Like, you, you don't want to be known as the guy that mm. looked naff on Britain's Got Talent, do you? Because then, yeah. you know, yeah, it can um, be very counterproductive. Can't yeah, it? if you if it doesn't go. Well, if it doesn't go brilliantly
0: yeah. even, even if it just goes okay, it's not great, is yeah, it? Yeah,
1: you don't want to... And, and then you have no control over that either. So, you know, you I would have no control over mm. what would happen uh, and what they could show in an edit or whatever. Because, yeah. you know... So, yeah, for me, I was kind of like, well, I don't really fancy it from because of that. Mm. But more recently, years, magicians have been looked after a lot better, I think. Um, they've got a guy on board with them who... Um, fantastic magician and really good consultant on it so um, I think part of his sort of deal with working with him was that like, you know we're not gonna make anyone look rubbish yeah. we're a champion and want to champion anything to look good and if it, if it doesn't look good we just don't show it yeah. so um, yeah there's you don't see many like rubbish magic plots anymore no. it's all kind of been worked pretty well and edited well so it's good Because you can't That's it when people argue About TV magic and stuff It's not for me I, I can't watch TV magic shows not, Don't really Do it for me Because I like to I like to see it live yeah. I, I love watching Darren Brown live Because I like to like uh, Reverse engineer What he's done To figure out How he's done it mm. and it, it the, thing, the reason I like it is because I can't see straight through Darren's stuff straight mm. away. Some of it I can because it's a known principle. But yeah. some yeah. of the stuff, I have to sit there and it takes me a few more minutes to figure out how he's done it but then appreciate how clever that is. Um, there's Darren and a guy called Andy Nyman who write most of their stuff together, mm. along with a few other guys. Um, but the, the minds and the way they think of stuff is absolutely incredible. Um, and I love watching that. When it's on TV, it's edited there's so much, so so heavily edited. I can't reverse engineer anything because no. I'm like, well, there's you know, twenty different ways you could have done that yeah. because it's edited out all the method, um, which I agree with is fine. Because now, if you didn't edit out the method, you know, people just rewind it, <laughs> You yeah. just rewind it and watch it again. Like, so <laughs> yeah, like whenever true. I did, I did this thing called Gary's Trick Tuesday for two or three years so every Tuesday I get an old trick out of the garage I'd sit on my rug in my, in my lounge and film it um, using my pyjamas <laughs> and then just stick it online mm. now they were so hard to do because you can't you can't it's one camera shot you can't misdirect anything no. No. so even if I do the trick once and someone watches it once and I've misdirected it and they've not seen how the trick works they're just going to hit rewind and watch it the second time. And the second time they watch it, they're going to be looking in the place that they now know they should be looking, mm. and it'll be like, "Well, well, there it is," <laughs> you know. And you're like, "Well, <laughs> that, that's kind of ruined it for everyone, has not so it?" Were so were you
0: so. able to do it though? Like, we had, did you have to watch it back really carefully to make because sure? Yeah, yeah, I
1: used to. Watch, I'd, I'd film it and then I'd watch it back and make sure that I'd not flashed anything, or because it was a weird angle as well. Like you'd be facing this camera mm. um, but then or I'd, I'd alter tricks and change them so that it, it was it would work on camera and wouldn't be um, you know could just do the one continuous shot um, but but yeah I had to really sort out some of my moves because some of my moves were like uh, when I performed with the people you know do f- fine mm. you can do it but then when I performed it on the camera when I was watching it back and scrutinising it you'd be like I'm going to free frame this They can see <laughs> what I've exactly. done there so yeah. so yeah that was it really made my moves a lot better because I sit and work on the move so I could do it on the mm. the camera but um yeah I did those quite a bit I enjoyed them but then just one thing about that I mean you
0: often hear or you always hear about you know the sort of magic circle or the you know the, the mm. rules about being a magician you can't reveal the yeah is it still pretty uh Sort of strict, yeah, sort of strict code if you yeah, like.
1: They don't want people, they don't want you to re- re- like revealing tricks and stuff, um, just revealing principles it's, it's, well, one, it's there's no point really, is there? <laughs> I don't, you know, like people they say, How'd you do that? I'm like, Well, you don't want to know, <laughs> yeah, like if let's we'll tell you I'm doing it or how it's worked, then the, the, you know, we know it's a trick, we know it's something that's up, but then you're not going to enjoy it. Usually, the method is nowhere near as fun as the actual trick no. when you say oh how does that work if I showed you how the thing works, you'd be like well that's a bit boring you're like, well yeah that's why I didn't tell you how it works <laughs> it's <laughs> because it's dull it, yeah. it, it is dull sometimes the methods are brilliant um, sometimes you know you you want to tell people how it works because it's such an ingenious method um, but Man, sort of the magicians, really. My dad, I would show how stuff works quite a bit because, um, well, obviously he got into when he was building the illusions, so he knows how all those work and stuff like that as well. Um, but it's amazing, though, when you start to think like a magician. Mm. So if I went and watched a magic show with my dad, uh, he had no background in magic at all, but just from building the magic illusions and from me sort of working out things with him and how things are going to work, we'll go watch a show and he'll go, well, I know how that bit works. I know where that is. I know where this is because they're all variations on other things if you mm-hmm. will, there's always like a variation on a, on a yeah. previous method to do stuff, so yeah, like, I came up with a trick um, a couple of years ago which is actually the only trick I've marketed to other magicians um, and it uses quite a common principle for the part of the method, but no one's seen the trick but if I show that to them, the magician uh, they'll know how the trick works because they know that, that method and mm-hmm. they'll go, oh yeah, but that's a clever way of using that method, you know, it's a different application for something to mm. um yeah to, to achieve a different goal really use yeah. a whole different trick to what people are used to but it's uh using the same method but you, as a magician you can see through it you can go oh, well that's yeah that's this or that's that um yeah
0: yeah i suppose there, is, there must be as you say there are certain principles that lots of tricks are or foundations that they're built on
1: yeah 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 well, there's the um the, there's quite a lot that there's not much you can do, is there? There's like vanishes, appearances, <laughs> transpositions. Yeah. But a transposition is just going to be a vanish from one place and appearance in another place. So right. is that is that a transposition or is it a vanish and an appearance? It's, <laughs> it, it, there's not much you can do. Yeah, you absolutely. can shrink stuff. You can cut stuff up. You can restore stuff. It's there's only uh, there's limitations the amount of uh, math. It's called the seven seven principles of magic. There's like seven different things that you can do, but. Are they yeah. secret? Or are they the? Are
0: they public? The seven principles. Oh,
1: they can't. They're kind of, no, they're the ones. The sort of the things that you um, that you can do. So what vani- are they? What are like the like a vanish, principles? an appearance, yeah. uh, a transposition, right. penetration, right. restoration. God, two to go. I'm two to go. I 2 to go i do not have another rest. I do not think. Another <laughs> seven of them because Tom right. does a show on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the That's two. That's close enough. I'll we'll yeah. look up the other we'll two. There. Look them up. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the. Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely seven of them. Um, <laughs> but like I say, there's not much you can do, though, is there? It's like, once you've done those things, there's not like a, a different way to go, really. So like I say, a transposition is just to vanish from somewhere mm. and appearance somewhere else. Um, so yeah, that with that, obviously a lot of the methods then are variations to achieve that same thing mm-hmm. you know like if I was doing a transposition I would be doing a vanish somewhere and appearance somewhere so it's <laughs> the same thing as if I could vanish something yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah it's working that out is quite fun sometimes and uh, yeah I'd love to uh, the, there's a lot of like magicians that do magic consultancy and I've worked on a few theater shows and stuff mm-hmm. um, to do bits of magic within <coughs> in a player and, and a piece of theater that needs something to happen and I'm working out how you're gonna make that happen. is fun Mm. Um, there's a guy called Paul Keeve Who does probably the, the most well known guy for it in the world But he um, worked on a show called The Invisible Man Quite a while ago Which was sort of his big kind of break really Into that industry And then he, since then he worked on Ghost And uh, the musical Ghost Which was mm-hmm. phenomenal the, the the technical magic in that was just crazy um, But within a theatre show Yeah. Uh, so that's something I would have I think I would Always have liked to have done a bit more of um, the theatre shows that I've worked on and consulted on and stuff were loads of fun and I did really enjoy the challenge of them. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I'd like mm. to do a bit more of.
0: Maybe that will come up more. Yeah, maybe. One thing I wanted to ask you before, I've got a couple of quick questions to ask you at the end, but I just wanted to co- come back to something because you, you, your granddad has kept cropping up quite mm-hmm. a bit. So, it sounds like he was a big inspiration yeah. for you and a big big help to allow you to achieve what you wanted to achieve. Oh yeah, definitely my granddad. So was he raised. retired when when you were trying to do it or was Yeah, he, he so was a
1: he was a carpenter. Um so yeah, he kind of everyone was involved really. Um my granddad um built the illusions with me in the garage and m- my dad um and taught me how to make stuff really it was mm. was my granddad taught me how to fix things and all sorts of stuff. Um basically if there was my granddad makes he'd make something for you to solve a problem that you didn't know you had Mm. until he'd done it. (laughs) So like all just random things. He'd be like, oh I've made you this and it's to sort this out or whatever. Uh and yeah he was fantastic on that on that front. But then so that was my dad's dad. Mm. Um my grandma, so my my mum's mum um, she was a seamstress, um, so she was uh, used to have it. My granddad, her husband used to have a tailor, tailor shop in Blackpool. Mm. Uh, but she would make all the anything that needed sewing, so any fabric <laughs> stuff. So, like the substitution trunk. So, when you get basically, it was a metamorphosis from um, Harry Houdini's metamorphosis. You basically uh, padlock someone up, they go inside of a box you got to stand on top of the box, lift up a big curtain, the curtain drops down, the person that was in the box is now stood on top of the box, and I was inside the box, uh, in the, the chains or whatever from the thing. Um, so the big curtains and stuff for things like that, <laughs> my grandma would make all those for us. So it was like, yeah, she did the seamstress stuff. My grandad helped us build all the... Um, the woodwork and stuff, but basically, he built it all. Me and my dad would just walk around the garage carrying stuff. That was <laughs> that was our job. What was your granddad's bit. name? Bernard. Bernard. Yeah, yeah, he was quite he was a very, very nice man, my granddad. He was great. Um, yeah. helped sounds, with like loads he, stuff sounds like he helped you out a lot. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, really now, the
0: three questions I just want to finish with asking you um, that I ask everyone. Yeah. So, the first one is Do you have like a, a routine that you go through? I mean, obviously, you have. You have to prepare what you're doing and you have to prepare your outfit and everything, don't you, before yeah. you go in. But do you have like something that you do either every morning or before a show to get you in the right frame of mind to you know to be to do what you do? Um
1: I think now, because I've done it so for so long, you kinda just do it. Mm. You kinda get straight into the the thing with I think with the with the adult stuff, it's once I've got my waistcoat on, once I've got my you know cards in my pocket I have Two decks of cards fit in my front pockets And my waistcoat I know mm. my sharpies in my back Left pocket <laughs> and I've got everything's got The same place they're all yeah. all in the in the Places that they live once I've loaded all That lot up so I'll, I'll get to a gig Get out of the van put my Waistcoat on get my little Box of tricks sometimes do It you know in the back of the van sometimes I go and do It and um, in the venue, there's going to be space. Open up my box of tricks and load all my pockets up. And then once I'm loaded, then I know I'm ready to go and I know mm. that I've got all my stuff that I need to to do it. So that's kind of there and done. Um, and then you do the gig, you get back in the van and you go. Uh, but then the kids' stuff is a bit more of a setup. So, you know, I have to get this big flight case out my the back of the van and uh, get my unicycle out and everything. But um, I can do it in one trip from right. the van to the... To get into the show, On the unicycle. <laughs> yeah, <I> should pedal <laughs> it in. But no, like push me, um, push my flight case with my unicycle and my little my bands and stuff that I need. Um, but yeah, I sort of narrowed it all down so all my sound system fits within my table and everything. So that because mm. um, some gigs, you, you know, you could be quite a long way away from where you you, you parked up. So yeah, but I get there and I have to set all that up. Obviously, so the front and back's go off the flight case. All that gets so all go through that process. Mm. Um, but then. Yeah, I'm then ready to go. So generally the, the start of a, a kid's party, I'll be there with the music on and I'm you know, the kids are having a dance around and run about and popping loads of balloons and stuff. And then, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go whenever, which I'm comfortable then to just get straight into mm. to doing the show. I think it's good having that little comfort zone that you know you've got everything, you know you're all you're all ready, you've got everything's in its place and stuff. And the same with the kids' show. Like I say, once I put my waistcoat on, I've got my microphone on. Um, I'm good. Mm. And uh I mean, the more sort of stand up stuff I do, the more kind of comparing type stuff I do. I'm quite happy with that. Um now. It took me a while to get into that, um and not using sort of my radio voice. It was it's more like <laughs> you know, once you sort of relax into something and just talk to people, yeah. it becomes so much easier and, uh, and yeah. I'm much I'm quite happy doing that. But I think Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question to <laughs> Because it's in It's a com- I'm comfortable yeah. With it So it because it's So a, much of the practice Yeah basically. And because it's a comfort zone I'm already in that mm-hmm. That zone for it If you will yeah. Um, So Yeah I think I, There's not really much prep Needed Obviously I prep all my stuff I've got to make sure All, that, all my props are all Ready to go And they're um, You know they're set Where they need to be And everything like that And I've got the right deck of cards In my hand Because <laughs> Yeah Uh <laughs> But Always yeah. a good idea Yeah yeah. Um, but yeah that's kind of You're straight in really yeah. Um A lot of the time You don't have time Either So like Christmas and stuff uh, run up to Christmas Is just mad So you know I might do three or four gigs In a day On the road up to Christmas And it's kind of Getting from one to the next Getting the van there Getting out the van Getting into the gig Doing the gig Getting back in the van And going away again You know you, You've got to be kind of hmm. On As soon as you As soon as you walk in So yeah <laughs> Yeah it's can be a toughie
0: yeah second question then um when you look back over everything is there anything is there one event or one thing that you did that you've you feel sort of most proud of
1: that you're you know you look back and think yeah that was uh there's a few bits that kind of stand out a little bit so like um when we did the illusion act and stuff something i'll be proud of from that was like we did uh, there was a place in Blackpool called in Leighton called Leighton Institute, and they did this big talent competition there um, every year. And Blackpool at the time, this is like 2000, was still buzzing, really. Mm. It, didn't, it hadn't really taken its massive hit that it did sort of in later years. Um, so the talent there was really good. Um, but that one, we had to do things like a few different heats, then do the final and stuff. But I always remember we'd go there and we got to... My, aunt and my uncle gary live around the corner they would come and help us load in we'd have to carry all this stuff up all these stairs and stuff so it's quite a family affair like my my dad would be there with me as well help me pull all the stuff in and we did like the show for that we came second in the end of the in the, the final of the talent competition mm. but i had like i think that was a massive highlight of stuff for me i was only about 18 i think 17 maybe um Oh, I mean, seventeen, eighteen, yeah. Uh, but that was a massive highlight because, like, there was the show where all my family were there, and everyone had come to see this thing. So I love that. Um, as far as like highlights from work goes, hmm. I've done a couple of close-up gigs abroad, which have been fun. Hmm. Um, when it comes were to they? those, I've done uh, one in. Uh, germany which was nice in frankfurt uh honestly outside hamburg in germany that was one there Done the one in italy uh, that was good um I've, uh yeah that was that was fun that'd be nice um, yeah be yeah nice. yeah it was good it was hot <laughs> uh the italy one not the not the hamburg one uh, but yeah it was good um just random stuff really i think like we did i do this thing the show I've actually had to miss it the past two years. Um, whenever I can, for a, a company called well, a charity called Max, and that's a brilliant show to do. I love that. There, um, it's basically supports families that uh, the kids are born like without eyes or their eyes don't develop properly. Um, so when I get to do that show, that's brilliant because you do the show and the kids love it, and they all want to come up afterwards. And the ones mm. who can't see want to feel all the props and stuff like that. And that's a really rewarding show to do. That um, so I really enjoy that. Um, I drove to mongolia a few years ago did the mongol rally and did like my charity was max but then when we got to mongolia we went to this uh there was an orphanage in mongolia we went to hmm. and we went there and i made all balloons for the kids and that was brilliant it's just <laughs> such a good experience i think so, so how,
0: how did you I, get involved in the
1: mongolia rally though something what? to do wasn't
0: it <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing what were you do? so
1: basically i am um, i do a trip every year i'll right. try and do a, a extended trip of about a month or so every year um, mm-hmm. to go away um, but that one was just me and my friend Glyn um, we, we decided to do that, we'd heard about it, it was a big um, a big company called The Adventurists which is, just seems to be a bit of a money making machine now unfortunately um, but you you basically drive from Battersea Park in London to uh, Alambatar, yeah. um and you have to do it in a car that's less than one litre um, so we had a uh, Yeah, a Daihatsu Kuro Which was <laughs> 979 cc's Of pure power, it was a beast <laughs> but, <laughs> but we drove over in that It was good, um, we just drove all the way through I mean you could do it on a metalized road if you went all the way Through Russia but it wouldn't be very fun So we went through like <laughs> Europe to Turkey And then up through Georgia and So Georgia, Russia Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan Uzbekistan <laughs> Back into Kazakhstan. Just driving Kazakhstan. constantly. Yeah, yeah. we try and rock out about 300 miles a day or something like that. It was 8,500 miles we did all together. <laughs> um, but it was good, though. Really enjoyed it. We got stuck in um, Uzbekistan for a bit because uh, we ran out of money. And there was just no cash. The cash machines were closed for, right. uh, until the Monday. So we were stuck <laughs> for a long weekend with no cash in, uh, in Samarkand, which is like... But, so what did you do? Uh, we... Found a hostel where the guy agreed to uh, let us stay there and pay him a few days later. Right. Because um, we ran out... Basically, we couldn't get any fuel. That was the problem. Um, because they'd stopped selling petrol in Uzbekistan. Um, everything had gone to natural gas. Right. So you'd buy petrol from the <laughs> side of the road from a guy who had it in, like, empty pot bottles and stuff. Right. Just filled up with petrol. They'd have them all there out <laughs> in the sun. And then you'd pour that into your car. But obviously they only took cash yeah, and we stupidly not got more dollars out before we went into Uzbekistan and so we uh, had to wait for this cash machine to open a few days later and I went and got $200 out uh, so two $100 bills and I took them into this place and changed them in this um, thing for Uzbekistan som, and she gave me three bricks of of uh, notes. It was huge; <laughs> they were huge. Um, so yeah, we could then go and buy buy fuel and get out of there and go up right. to back up into Kazakhstan. Um, but yeah, that was a uh, that was fun. Yeah. Um, so
0: you always try and go away for a month? You are saying each year? Uh,
1: yeah, like an extended trip. So like last year, I did the Philippines right. for a month. And then Why is that
0: important to you to do that? Like for that length of time.
1: I I fell in love with travelling When I was teaching um, Because I would Like I said I would teach seven days a week And then I'd just have the uh, The summers off So every summer I'd just yeah. take the whole summer off And go travelling somewhere So um, You know I'd do, a, do one trip I'd usually fly out Just after we broke up And then fly back Just before we Started back in um, But then I just I don't know I just, I just really love to travel and to see different stuff um i call it a bit like adventure travel really and majority of times i will just book a flight somewhere and then book a flight back and then make it up as i go along hmm. in between and, and that's what i quite enjoy um so just for my own sanity i think and get out of doing uh so often by stuff. yourself
0: then or with someone else or
1: yeah so um use on my own uh Last year uh I went with my fiance and then the year before we did uh we did Japan together as well. Um this year I'm off to Morocco. Yeah. Um that's on my own again this year. So I'll be out for about a month there ish. Um although one of my friends has told me that I need to go and meet him somewhere <laughs> <laughs> the, the weekend before so I'm gonna have to fly from Morocco to right uh Somewhere else I don't know where yet. <laughs> uh, But yeah we'll see But I've got, about, I've got about A month in Morocco So I'm looking forward To that I've never done Any of Africa That's yeah. not been On my list at all So yes. um, yeah Should be That'll be good Good bit Yep yeah. Alright
0: and final Question for you um, What about it, it, This could be anything Like so it could be A book or something On TV that you're Watching or a film That you've watched Recently Right But what have you Like creatively Enjoyed watching Or experiencing Most recently
1: Oh god Um so I don't really read novels as such. I'll, I'll read magic books or magic history books and stuff. Um so they fascinate me magic history stuff when I'm reading those. The the best thing for magic though that I that I like is is the conventions. The, mm. like a magic convention I think is brilliant. Um I I've been going to the Blackpool one every year since I was about 13. Um and that's the biggest magic convention in the world is the one in blackpool um there's about four thousand magicians go uh it it start you know it's it's got a lot bigger from what it was uh in recent years they've just really improved they've made some massive improvements and stuff those are fantastic and they always inspire me loads when i've been to the convention and and things um and you always leave sort of buzzing with like a thousand ideas of different Mm. stuff you want to try out and, Mm -hmm. and do and things so yeah i think those just surrounding yourself with other magicians for a long weekend um is is really good and then um, we started recently Tom and Darren and I started recently going to another one that's just for kids show stuff um called Tricks and the Sticks mm. which is in Shropshire which is um that's going to be next month yeah mid 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 May it is um but that's great because it's just all like kids entertainers and um that's a good one to go to for us because it gives you lots of inspiration to do different stuff and seeing what other people are doing and, mm. uh, and sharing different ideas and things. So I think they're probably the the biggest input for me is that the conventions, I'm watching mm. the shows at the conventions. And stuff what about like Away that. From Magic? Away From Magic? Um, uh, can I say travel? <laughs> I think, yeah, tra- think travelling is probably the the other big love of my life really um so that really just i don't know i hate the the whole sort of uh when you're traveling there's these people who go yeah go find myself i'm like well, no no, i'm just <laughs> just gonna go and see some stuff and that's what i go for um but i think that's what really like that frees me up quite a lot so when i do when i do that i love doing that because i can um I don't know you can think a lot more about things Mm. if you've got a 20-hour bus ride you can get a lot of thinking done um there's a lot (laughs) a lot going on and then you'll come up with you know different ideas for trips Mm. I've got a notebook that's full of like um illusion designs but I don't think I'd ever do illusions again but just from when I was doing a big trip and I'd sat um I did a lot of them on the Yangtze River going down through China I was on (laughs) on this boat for like four days but I went on the Chinese tourist boat rather than the the western boat because it was a lot cheaper <laughs> um but yeah no one spoke English and I didn't right. speak Mandarin so <laughs> I just spent my days kind of cruising down the river drawing <laughs> illusion ideas out and I think that's kind of yeah that for me is quite creative yeah so you're away from
0: the sort of everyday yeah your phone doesn't noise. work so
1: yeah. yeah there's no internet about so that that's kind of what I like yeah
0: yeah I nice think. All right Matt. Well thank you very much for talking to me. It's been no, a pleasure. Thanks a lot. So that was Matthew Cope. Lovely stuff from him. Thank you, Matthew, uh, for giving up your time. Much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Um it was great fun to do. Um and yeah, that's the as I said at the start, that's the penultimate episode for a little while. So we're gonna have one more episode in two weeks. Uh, which is a good one. It's actually uh, John Nicholson from Football365. Anyone that's familiar with that, he's also written a load of books. He's a really, really interesting interviewee. Look forward to that one. Uh, that's in coming in two weeks. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. As always, get in touch if you want. Love to hear from you at Guy Kilty, at Creative Forces P on Twitter, or Creative Forces Pod at gmail.com. Cheers. See you soon.